Are you ready? Yeah, let's do this. Hey guys, I'm Jen. And I'm Amanda. And And you're listening to Fathomless. Today, I have a really strange case for us that just leaves us with a lot more questions and answers. Oh, one of these. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a fun one where you're like super frustrated at the end of it. Um, Well, it's also in the West Coast. So we're going to go over to Colorado. Oh, we're leaving New England. We're leaving New England. Okay, let's go. Another thing that's a little stressful about this case is it is technically, according to authorities in that area, solved. No. But it's not? No. I don't think it is. The parents don't really think it is. Really nobody Nobody. except the coroner thinks it's solved. Uh, So, yeah. And when we we go through the case and you see all of the circumstances and, like, stuff around what happened, you'll see what I mean. All right. Because, like. Ruin my day. Why don't you? I'm so sorry, especially right before you go to Taylor Swift. You know what? Taylor Swift is going to make up for everything. I can't. I'm crying thinking about it. I'm crying thinking about. You might cry. I'm. I'm now. Yeah. Yeah. Just so. Ruin my day. Go ahead. So today we are going to be talking about Joshua Maddox. You ever heard of Joshua Maddox? I have not. Okay. So we're just going to dive right into this timeline. Joshua Vernon Maddox was born on March 9th, 1990, making him a Pisces. We love Pisces here yeah, on Fathomless. Yeah. My best friend is a Pisces, Teresa. She's a little Disney princess that came to real life. Literally. Does she listen? I think she does. Teresa. I know Nick does. Oh, Nick. What's up? Your wife is a fucking goddess. real life fucking Cinderella. She really is. So, Kudos. anyway, Josh is also a Pisces. 1990. 1990. Uh, so it's close to our age. Yeah. Uh, just two years older than us. And he had two sisters, Katie and Ruth, as well as an older brother, Zachary. And his parents were diver- di- divorced. Diverse. Di- divorced. And they lived with their father, Mike, in Woodland Park, Colorado, which is in Teller County, which is a kind of small rural community. Uh, it said on the like most recent census, there's like, you know, about. 10,000 people there maybe okay so you know pretty big but it was more around like 8,000 at this time or the time that he went missing uh and it is a really kind of little town that's nestled right up against the pike national forest which i also saw was pike san isbel national forest which is a vast mountainous wilderness that stretches over 1 million acres of forest and 11 counties is this pertinent information? Yes. Okay. Yes. Very pertinent okay. information. By the way you said it, I was like, I'm going to remember this later. Yeah. Um, because it makes it very difficult when you have one million acres of You can't forest, search all that. It is very hard to search for an 18-year-old boy. What was the name of the town that he lived in again? It was Woodland Park, Colorado. Woodland Park. Yes. It was honestly a really pretty area. 
looks beautiful. I want to go. I've Colorado never once. been to Colorado, but I, I went would to love Denver. To. It was, it was awesome. It yeah, was a like great. The, it was great. Never been to the Rockies. I've flown over the Rockies when I went to California. I went to San Diego once when I was like eleven, but I've never actually been to Colorado. It's on my list. I want, yeah, one you day definitely I'm gonna go. cross country road trip. We went. Um, Oh my god, we should fucking do that one day. That would be awesome. I'm so down. All right, I'm so down to do that. We should do that in like a few years or something. Let's do it. Plan it ahead. Yeah, it'll be Pound like it. Pound a lot on of money. It. Elizabeth is also down to do that, and she's a great road trip partner. Fuck yeah, so. let's split the driving too. Yeah, perfect. All right, let's do it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we're not All gonna right. plan our road trip right now. We're gonna keep talking <laughs> about Josh. So let's wait. We'll do that in a separate podcast. Yeah. Uh, Josh okay, so was... it's in between like Denver and Colorado Springs. Okay, yeah. I'm just getting my geography for yeah. my own. It's like up in the mountain yep. kind of area, very rural, but you know, just like a really nice kind of woodland town. Woodland Park. Woodland Park. So Josh was an extremely bright and sensitive child growing up. He was homeschooled for a few years, but eventually enrolled in public school. Uh, so for like the last two years of high school, he was in a public school. Uh, he thrived in school, and he had a ton of friends and had a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, there was actually a moment in high school where he snuck into a choir class and joined them for a performance, even though he was not a part of the choir That's at all. That's so funny. So very much like a just kind of goofy. goofy yeah. yeah, like happy-go-lucky dude. Uh, he was a super caring and sweet individual. He actually told his sister, one of his sisters, that no one should ever speak badly about another person ever. And she later said in interviews that she tries to keep that part of Josh alive in her life and never speaks badly of anyone ever, oh. which we should all do that. Yeah, we really should, because it's, it's, we're all just humans fucking stuck on this floating rock together. So you're allowed to vent here and there. Yeah. Have your vent sesh, but you don't need to be nasty about yeah. it to other people. But Josh was also an incredibly talented musician. Uh, he was just super talented, basically, at anything he tried to do. Uh, but he played guitar and piano. He wrote music, poetry, and short stories, mm. and actually sang very well. Wow. So his family and friends all really just were wondering if he was going to go off and start a music career or become, like, an author and start writing novels. He was just a very talented individual in both senses of the arts. The arts. The arts. The theater. Uh, he was very Amanda, much. Like a, wait, you got to say it. The theater. Okay, thank you. <laughs> very much a free spirit. Definitely giving like flower child vibes. Uh-huh. Um, he was always. Um, he always told his family that he often dreamed of going off on a big adventure one day, and this would be a very big point in the investigation too. They got, um, they look into everything, and they were like, "Oh, he wanted to adventure." Yep. So they who doesn't? He, sir? he often said that he would one day just leave home for this adventure, and that he might not come back for a little while or contact his family, but that he would eventually one day come back. Oh, he said that. He did say that very specifically. Okay. Which fuck is a scratch, little scratch? What I just said. Yeah, that's the only thing that it makes it makes the rest of this investigation very stressful. Uh, but that is a very important piece of information for later. He did and if he's say that 18, often. they can mm-hmm. go wherever they want. Yep. Okay. Yep. But you said coroner. What? Did they find him? Okay. Well, you said coroner, and you're giving he me the look. All right. Found. All right. All right. Go on. Just Ruining it. 
Sorry. Ruining the suspense. Sorry. It's okay. You're fine. So, unfortunately, a couple years before Joshua's disappearance, the Maddox family actually endured a really horrible tragedy. I'm going to give a trigger warning right now for suicide. So, if you don't want to hear about that, just skip a little bit forward. But on June 1st, 2006, when Josh was a sophomore in high school, his brother Zachary actually committed suicide just weeks before his own high school graduation. And this incident devastated the entire family, especially Josh, because that was his older brother, also his only brother, which he shared a very special bond with. Fuck. Uh, extremely fucked. Um, the death of his brother took a huge toll on Josh's mental health, uh, but with the support of his family and friends, he was given the resources he needed to grieve properly. He sought therapists. He got the help that he needed. And... I do want to mention that at the time of Josh's disappearance, his family and friends all said that he was in a very good mental health state. He had very much, I don't want to say come to terms with the death of his brother, but he had found his own way of to breathe and move, yeah. move forward and kind of continue his life without Zach in it. And so I just also wanted to point that out because they did try to say, well, maybe maybe he did something to himself like his brother did. However, definitely not the case because uh, everyone said that Josh was very much a extremely happy person. He was very excited to be graduating and going off and finishing his, you know, starting a new life outside of high school in Woodland Park. Um, now we're going to go to Thursday, May 8th, 2008. Dun, dun, dun. So it's two years later. Josh's sister, Kate, was told by Josh that he was going to go for a walk. Okay. It was uh, Thursday. It's kind of like afternoon-ish. So I'm assuming it was after they got out of school. And this was super common for Josh. He would often go on long walks in the woods. He was very much one with nature. So and like right before, this is right before his graduation? Yes. His own graduation? Yes. Okay. This is Thursday, May 8th, 2008. So he's a senior. This is right before he's graduating okay. on his own. Got it. It's also May, so he had just turned 18 couple months prior in March. Got it. Which is uh, another little important piece as well, because he's 18 years old, which is considered an adult. Yep. Don't know why. Uh, so, like I said. <laughs> I'm not was, even an adult. I'm going to be 31. Right? <laughs> I need my dad. I need. I need my parents. Jesus. Sorry, guys. I just knocked my headphones out. Hold on one second. Pause. Technical difficulties. But, um. <laughs> So, like I said, this was a super common occurrence for Josh. He often went walking in the woods. It was a place that he liked to sit and write and work on music. He'd go out for walks with his friends, and they'd just hang out. Which also, when you're teenagers in, like, a rural community, that's what you do. You go fucking hang out in the woods. Like, that's I mean, what I did was we hung out in, like, the cranberry bogs. Yeah, you go outside. Like, yeah. things to do in my town. Yeah, if you don't have a trails, mall and there's nothing else to woods. do, the woods. That's exactly where you are. So, doesn't sound super weird for an 18-year-old to be like, hey, I'm going to go take a walk. Not weird at all. Super normal. So he set off in his neighborhood, which was right up against the Pike National Forest, walked to the end of the road, into the woods. Something he's done a lot before. Yes. Super common. I mean, that's something I used to do at my house. Did I he would... bring anything with him this time? No. He just left? No yeah. phone? And it's 2008, so they There's may not have phones. even had, he may not have had a cell phone. He didn't really seem like a cell phone kind of dude. Yeah. But there wasn't I mean, a cell phone with them. 2008, I had my fucking NV2 with did. my Zebra yep. phone case and my ring back phone. Oh, God, yeah. 
<laughs> I wasn't allowed ring back tones. Uh, did you have the classical music? No. Sometimes Verizon would like preset the classical music ring back tone for I everybody. Think you, I think it's so annoying. Pay, <laughs> I think you had to pay for the ring back tone. Like you did. Feature. Yeah. We weren't allowed to do that. We had too many kids. And my sisters were always fucking and it's running so, up the bill with text messages going over the limit. So And it's so unnecessary too. Oh yeah. Yeah. You don't need it to make music. But anyway, um, from what I saw in all my research, he did not have a cell phone. At least not with him at that time. And it kind of makes sense. He doesn't really seem like the kind of person that would have a cell phone. He was very much a like an earthy kind of dude. So seems like it. I don't think that he'd be, you know, on his phone like texting every day. He I can't like imagine more... like the service out there would be any good. Yeah, exactly. That too. It's mountains in Colorado in two thousand and eight. They probably had no cell towers. So he just went off on his own. He didn't have like a his guitar with him or anything from what I saw. It was just him by himself. Uh, and when he was found, it was just him by himself. So when Josh did not return that night, his sisters and his father were a little concerned, but they just assumed that he had met up with some friends and ended up sleeping over at someone's house and forgot to check in. Because like I said, Josh was very much a free spirit, so it wasn't unlike him to kind of have stuff like that happen where, you know, he'd meet up with like some dudes in the neighborhood and then they'd end up all hanging out really late, crashing at somebody's house, and then, you know, he'd show up the next day. Yeah. They don't want to panic. Yeah. Nobody wants to panic initially. Exactly. And he was also 18 and about to graduate. So he was kind of at that weird time in his life where his parents, his dad was kind of, I don't want to say parents because I never saw anything about his mother. It's like the summer, like Um, right when you graduate, you you expect a little bit more freedom. They do. And like your parents kind of do give you a little bit more freedom. You know, like all of a sudden your curfews like midnight instead of 10 p.m. Like they're getting a little more lax. Like when you are hanging out like and forget to check in with your friends and stuff because they're you know they're getting you ready to be kicked out of the nest so he was kind of at that point in his life as well where his dad was like oh well you know did he have plans to go to college what was his plans again he was kind of like all over the place he had said that he maybe wanted to go off on like a grand adventure before he went to college you know do like a year abroad or something okay he said that he wanted to do like a career in music or possibly do something with writing so it, he was one of those kids where he really didn't know what he wanted to do. And he definitely wanted to try and see what the world had to offer I him think first. that's a smart fucking idea. Yeah. Honestly. Which is the best way to go about it. Yeah. Um, but from what I had seen in my research, there wasn't like a, he was going to this college and got like a scholarship. Like he was an extremely bright student, but there wasn't a specific like university named or anything. Yeah. And my guess would be, He'd probably take like a year off and hey, I and wish something, I know? wish I fucking did that, honestly. But like I said, his parents, his dad was kind of, you know, it's no big deal that he didn't show up that night. You know, he could be back the next day. However, when Friday came and went and then the weekend passed and they still heard nothing from him, everyone started yeah. to kind of really get concerned. Yeah. So he started reaching out to Josh's friends being like, hey. Has, like, have you guys seen him? You know, they probably and, just thought it's the weekend, whatever. Yeah. 
So like, but once Monday came and he's still like not even a phone call, he was like, all right, this is a little weird. Yeah. Like at least usually he'll be like, hey, I'm at so-and-so's house. I'm so sorry. We're going to be here until the next week or something. Uh, But when they started reaching out to Josh's friends and they realized that none of his friends had seen him since Thursday before he went on his walk. That's when everyone started to get really, really nervous. And on May 13th, which was about five days after his disappearance, five days after he went on that walk, his father, Mike, contacted authorities and filed a missing persons report. When was he, like, supposed to be back at school? It would have been... Like, that Monday? Friday. Oh, that Friday. Yeah, because it was Thursday, May 8th, so it's not, like, a holiday or anything. Did the school not call and say, like, your son... Because, like, if you didn't show up to school, school calls you. School calls your house. I didn't see that in my research, but... Oh, well... Yeah. Weird. Weird. Very weird. But, I mean, it also, it was, it was May. So, that's, you know, like, a month before they're graduating. Exactly. They also, they're seniors. So they probably could Some just, schools are assholes. They and they're just be skipping, you know? Yeah. But they'll be like, if you don't show up, we won't let you walk. Exactly. Yeah. Some schools are. But from what I saw, it didn't really draw any concerns that he wasn't there on school on Friday. It wasn't until the following Monday that people started being like, wait a minute. Where's Josh? Yeah. Okay. Um. But again, like we said, you know, it's the, it's that weird time where you're just getting out senioritis. of high school. Yeah, and it is. It's senioritis. And your parents are also kind of getting to that point where they're like, well, fuck it. Like, you're basically an adult now. You're going to be in college next year or out of my house. So can't baby you anymore. Yeah, do, do what you want. You know, you're trying to let them have a little bit more freedom. So he wasn't trying to, like, be a helicopter dad and, like, mm-hmm. hover over him. Uh but unfortunately, you know, like we said, nobody had seen him since Thursday. So on Monday, May thirteenth, or not Monday, but on May 13th, um, which I believe was that Tuesday, Mike contacted authorities, filed a missing persons report. Um, some people have given him a lot of grief saying that that's way too long, but it's your 18-year-old son. Like, it's, I really, I can't say what I would do in that situation either, you know? You don't want to panic right away. Yeah. And there are times where I lived at my friend's house, like, yeah, for, like, a week. Like, all senior year. I, like, basically lived at my friend's house during the weekend. Yeah. Like, then it happens. And so, then you, it's you not that. Check in with your parents, like, once a week, and they're like, hey, you coming well, home? Well, when I'm a parent, I'm going to be like, you check in oh, with yeah. me every single fucking day. Definitely. Yeah. But, you know, you can't really, I can't blame his father for giving him a couple days to, to contact him, you know, before kind of panicking. But. Authorities jumped right on it, and they were able to conduct a massive search of the forest. Uh, the Woodland Park Police Department, Pike Forest Park Rangers, and a bunch of volunteers were involved in the search. So, unfortunately, the search led to absolutely nothing. They couldn't find any trace. Can only imagine. Was there like a certain route that he always went on? Like, did the family know, or was not it just really? Like... There was a ton of walking trails in that forest behind them, so it was really. And there was also like several different campgrounds too, so it really he could have been anywhere. But as they searched through the forest, they couldn't find any signs of any type of foul play. They couldn't find any type of evidence that he was there or had gone missing in the forest or anything really, and. They also had the issue that he had recently turned 18 in March of that year. So he essentially was considered an adult by the state. So his father could not file this missing persons case as a runaway because he was not considered a minor. Got it. So, so 
Wait, he tried to file as a runaway, not a missing person? He, he wanted, he filed the missing persons report, but they weren't able to classify the missing persons report as a runaway case because he was not a minor. It was just a missing persons report. Okay. Um, where it's, when it's, I guess when it's considered like a runaway case, the police have more, like they're able to kind of keep pushing more. The investigation can kind of go on a little bit longer. Amber alerts can go out, things like that. When it's just an 18 year old, you can't, or when it's just an adult or a missing person, mm-hmm. you can't really do that. Um, and since there were no signs of foul play during that search and they really didn't have any kind of leads to be- make them believe that anything was wrong, they ended up calling off the search after a few days and just kind of left it at that. Josh's family always kept hope that he was still alive. And like they said, I mean, Josh had mentioned several times to friends and family that one day he wanted to just go off on a big adventure. And not tell anybody. And not tell anybody about it and that he may not be able to contact them for a little while. So when police heard of this, they assumed that that's what was happening, you know? It, yes, it was weird that it was, you know, a month before he was supposed to graduate. Yeah, that you he think decided he'd to wait. dip town. You think he'd wait. Exactly. Like, get through graduation, then go on your adventure. But they couldn't say that that wasn't what happened definitively. Yeah. So they, it just kind of got left at that. I'm sure you have your oh, own theory. Uh, oh, well, girl, we find him. So. I. Oh, but don't they? Okay. I'm not going to ask any more questions. Just go on. I'll wait. So Josh's family thought that, you know, maybe one day he'd show up with a wife and kids or they'd find him publishing under a pen name in another state. Or that would be. Seem like recording music. And all of a sudden cool. he just find they find him somehow. But I can never leave my family really, like that. Yeah, they really weren't sure. And authorities actually agreed with the family that he may have just decided to leave town and start a new life. But there was always that underlining concern that something may have happened because the way he just said, hey, I'm going for a walk and just left. And took nothing. And never came back and took nothing with him. Like, no backpack, nothing. Just seems really weird. And the family had also always been extremely close since they had lost their eldest son, Zachary, two yeah. years before in 2006. So even if he was going to go, they felt like he would have said goodbye in some way. Or, like, there would have been signs that he was going to go off. He may not have directly been like, all right, I'm leaving today. I love you all. Because sometimes that's kind of hard to do. But they felt like there would have been more of a sign that, you know, Maybe, Josh like, was grown a little closer, adventure. like, the week before. Exactly. Or at least left with a fucking backpack. Left a like, note, I don't know. Something. Like, didn't take his guitars with him, didn't take anything with him. Um, although the family was, you know, kind of worried, they just tried to keep hope. Josh's father never moved out of his home in Woodland Park in hopes that Josh one day might return and decide to go back to the one place that he knew was home, which was his dad's house. So now we're going to fast forward to seven years later in 2015. I'm getting goosebumps already. And I'm going to introduce you to a man named Chuck Murphy. Chuck Murphy. Yep. Is this an alias or is this a real guy? This is a real guy. Okay. He's a, he's a good dude. We like Chuck. Okay. So Chuck is an older man who had spent his life as a construction worker. And he actually owned a couple pieces of property in Pike Forest about two miles away from the Maddox home. And... There's a fun little bit of history about the pieces of property that he owned. So, of course, I had to add this in. History with Amanda. Uh, so, it's history with Amanda. So, this property that he owned was actually part of a resort called Thunderhead Ranch. 
And Thunderhead Ranch had been built in the 1930s by a Scandinavian man okay. uh, named Bert Bergstrom. What a was name. also involved in organized crime in the area and was nicknamed the Big Swede or Big Bert. I like Big Bert better. Yep, but the Big Swede I thought was like Swedish. Yeah. So, because uh, he was a rather large man, apparently, like a okay. very big burly man. He also had a very big personality to match it. So he was Big Bert. Big Bert. Yep, which I just, I fucking love that. So the Big Swede built this resort as a kind of gambling and drinking oasis, as well as a secret brothel. Well, when you said ranch, I was like, what is this place? So it's like, a basically, it was like a series of small cabins, which was pretty cute. Uh, but it was. It was considered like a little resort that was supposed to be for like people to go gambling and drinking prior to prohibition and after prohibition secretly, uh, as well as prostitution and, you know, a couple other fun things that weren't really allowed in Colorado at the time by the state. But Big fun Bird things. didn't give a damn. Yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, as we all know, obviously, this did not last very long and the resort was eventually shut down by authorities. And turned into, like, different campsites and stuff like that. And, you know, separated and auctioned off. One of the cabins is actually a preschool now, which I think is hilarious. I read an article that was actually talking about how, you know, I think the title of the article said something to, like, from brothel to preschool. And I was like, damn. What a fucking newspaper ad. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was wild. Great. Um, I'll have to find it. It's somewhere on my computer. And I'll, I'll add it in the show notes. But. Um, so Chuck had actually purchased, or Chuck's family had purchased the, um, one of these properties in the 50s as a vacation home. It was just like a nice little cabin for like the summertime. Uh, and on, up until about 2005, mind you, Josh went missing in 2008. So up until about 2005, Chuck's brother had been living in the cabin year round. And from then on, so from 2005 on, it was abandoned. Chuck only went there about twice a year to make sure that it was still locked up and that no squatters were there. And over the years, the cabin had actually been taken over by wildlife. Um, each time Chuck went inside to, like, check on the cabin and see how it was doing inside, it got worse and worse. Uh, it was filled with, like, raccoon poop, rotting animal carcasses. It smelled awful in there. It smelled awful in there. At the raccoon some point, poop, right? Yeah, all that raccoon poop, guys. Um, at some Not point, a body. in 2006, Chuck uh, installed, and remind you, I'm going to say that date again. In 2006, yeah. Chuck installed a steel grate inside of the chimney to stop the squirrels and raccoons and other wildlife from entering the cabin, because that's how they were getting in there. Um, so this steel grate was about um, two to three brick layers from the top of the chimney that he inlaid it into the brick. Okay. So it was pretty well in there and very sturdy, and it stopped anything from getting into the chimney from the top. I said that very specifically. From the top. Okay. Yes, from the top. So he was basically just trying to hopefully, you know, get animals to stop from going in there, but as the years went on, he continued to stop by and notice a very strong decaying smell from animals crawling under the house as well. So after almost a decade of letting it sit there and rot and it was beyond disrepair, the cabin needed to be completely demolished. So 
Chuck and a crew of workers began the demolition process in 2015. Okay. Um, while they were removing scrap metal from the cabin, they noticed that the breakfast bar that was in the kitchen at one point had actually been ripped away from the wall and shoved in front of the fireplace, blocking it. What was blocking it? A breakfast bar. So, like, a little, okay. like, island that kind of, like, juts out from the wall, like a little, like, peninsula kind of thing, um, was ripped away from the wall in the kitchen okay. and moved into the living room to block the fireplace. Got it important piece of metal yeah important piece of information it's important piece of metal i saw scrap metal in my notes as I said <laughs> that, so i just said metal sorry guys but uh it wasn't until the men started demo- demolishing the chimney that they made a grizzly discovery oh what was I'm it i'm gonna give you guys trigger warning again so stuffed about three feet up into the chimney was the decomposed corpse of what looked like a young man He was facing downwards in the fetal position. His knees were above his head and his legs were dislodged from his body. He was also naked from the waist down, wearing only a thermal undershirt, and one of his hands was covering his face. Shut the fuck up. Mind you, this cabin is two miles from Josh's home. Oh, my God. So the men immediately stopped demolition process, obviously, and Chuck called the police who quickly arrived to the scene. Body was removed, and using dental records, they were able to determine that this was the body of 18-year-old Joshua Maddox. Joshua's family was notified. Obviously, they were devastated to receive this news, but they were also extremely confused as to how their son ended up inside of a chimney. Yeah, me too. Now, the coroner didn't... Me fucking too. (laughs) Now, the coroner did an autopsy. An autopsy? An autopsy. An autopsy. Autopsy. (laughs) And found no signs of drugs in his system and the obviously well he was was probably really fucking decomposed he was very decomposed also so there really wasn't much soft tissue left but his hard tissue showed no obvious signs of trauma which looking up what that meant means that there was no knife marks broken bones or bullet holes okay however the body was in a mummified state so there's really no way to see what kind of damage may have been done to the soft tissue like skin and organs because the skin at this point were now in a leather-like state and completely withered to almost nothing so signs like strangulation may not be visible if the neck didn't break or smothering or even a sexual assault may not have been visible because the body was mummified now things like bruising wouldn't really show up after seven years either so there may not have been any immediate signs of trauma to the hard body like the hard tissue of the body which led the coroner to believe that the death was accidental and uh yeah this is what the coroner okay sorry suggested is gonna happen or suggested i'm already shaking my fucking head you don't even need to fucking tell me so this is what the coroner um offered as a explanation to what happened they assumed that josh was on his walk back in 2008 and he came across the cabin and decided to check it out and wanted to try and break in as teenagers do. Jen's like over here like mimicking, like shaking her head, sticking her <laughs> tongue out, like so annoying. So the coroner claimed that Josh climbed up onto the roof and down into the chimney where he got stuck and was unable to free himself and either passed away from asphyxiation, dehydration, or hypothermia, basically whichever came first. Yeah, but I remember the 2006 
detail. Yeah, there's also a couple things. I mean, this sounds like a solid theory if you're only looking at the fact that they found a body in the chimney and literally nothing else around the circumstances of I'm Josh's sorry, if I was, like, coming across a cabin in the woods, like, the only thing, if I were to even approach it, go inside, look around, then leave. I wouldn't go up on the roof yeah. of a old-ass cabin that's, like, all fucked up. Girl, just wait. Okay, sorry, go on. So sorry, sorry. one of the first things that sticks out is actually the positioning of the body. If Joshua, um, he would have to fall butt first. Right? No, he would have been face. He was face down. Okay, in there, so face down, butt up. Okay, so he would have had to have climbed into the chimney <laughs> on head, all fours, head first, like like dove into it as if he was diving into a swimming pool. That is what he suggested. But weren't his now, knees above his head? They were. So that's what they're saying is that when he dove in head first and then got stuck, he attempted to try and like turn himself around and wedged himself into the chimney. No one's going to dive down a chimney head first. <laughs> and like, I'm sorry. Like if I was going to climb into a chimney, I'm, I'm I sure as shit would not be going head first. That is so ridiculous. Yep, that is what he said. Think that. And okay. Are you ready for this? Cause it gets even worse. Like, yep. and it, so tell me. there's also the issue of Josh's clothes. Now, remember I said, <laughs> That he was I'm found sorry. naked who, from the waist down. Who wrote this? Whose story? Who's, was this the police or the court? That was the coroner but who said is, that. This is the coroner. That was the coroner who said that he would have climbed into the chimney head first, <laughs> tried to right himself, got wedged and now, stuck, who's and then died of clothes? dehydration. Same guy? The coroner's saying this about his clothes now? Oh, no. We're just talking about where his clothes were found. Because the body was, remember how I said the body was found with only yeah, but a they, thermal shirt. But did they explain that? What was their explanation for that? Uh, so his clothes were actually found inside the cabin, neatly folded next to the fireplace. So they're saying that he took his pants off. Yes. That this man took his pants off, went up to try and get back into the cabin, which he was already in. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at this. At this any poor child this. who clearly no, got a- attacked. No, I am just appalled that, that these a, are the theories. Yeah, that this is the theory of a medical professional. Get the fuck that's out. Employed by the state of Colorado. Sorry, I, when I'm uncomfortable, I. So yeah, I laugh. So the so. fact that his fo- his clothes were found inside the cabin, not neatly folded next to the fireplace didn't really seem to concern the coroner at all. He still was adamant that he climbed up onto the roof to get into the cabin via the chimney. Which but his pants but his did they with, think with that his he... pants off. So another thing that they attempted to say when when people started questioning that was that he said that he may have taken his clothes off because he was already getting into a hypothermic state in the middle of May in Colorado uh, and was doing some paradoxal undressing. Or paradoxical undressing. Sorry, I believe that's how it's called. Um, which is a that is a phenomenon that happens when you when you go into hypothermia. But it was it was like maybe forty five degrees at night at that time. This is springtime like in Colorado. Freezing. Which you still you still can because the hypothermia is basically defined by when it's not the the temperature around you, it's when your body temperature goes below ninety five degrees. Fahrenheit so like if you were sopping wet and in 40 degree weather you absolutely could succumb to hypothermia I'm just thinking like did he get if this theory of theirs which is absolutely ridiculous I'm 
fucking ridiculous. Yeah, if like, it if was we true, even gave the did he get corner locked, the benefit of the doubt? Did he get, did he locked, get locked out, out of the cabin and try to get in through the chimney? Yeah. Maybe. But where were his clothes? But Why were I would pants try off? to break a window exactly. before I climbed on the roof pantsless and, and dove headfirst head into, into a chimney. There was also the issue of the fact that Chuck basically publicly came out and disagreed with it, saying that he installed that metal grate two years prior and that it was still very much intact. The coroner tried to clap back and say, well, it could have been rusted to the point that there was a hole in the middle of it that was an, big enough for someone like Josh, who is kind of a tall, kind of scrawny, lanky dude, to climb through. Now, I don't have male genitalia, but I'm just thinking about if I looked at a chimney that had a rusted metal grate in it, I'm not thinking, yeah, I'm going to take my pants off and dive headfirst into this. Like, that sounds horrible. With no pants or underwear on, Jen can't even speak right now, guys. She's just can't even breathe right now. I just, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why they thought that that was a logical explanation. Oh um, my god, that is absurd. And I'm sorry, on, even with even with a hole in the crate, how, like I'm sorry, I don't think chimneys are that. They're not that big. big. They're not. And like, yeah, he was like kind of a scrawny dude, but like, still. And why would you want to go head first? Because, like, what are you going to do once you're in the chimney head first? Like, are you going to just slither out like a snake through the fireplace? Like, what? Not not even possible. Exactly. Can we talk about the kitchen bar? Oh, we're going to get to that. Okay. Um, Because that's another thing is why was the kitchen bar shoved in front of the fireplace? But I do want to mention that the coroner himself actually made a statement saying that when he first saw the position of the body, he thought that it would have taken at least two people to get Josh's body to contort in the chimney the way that it did. And then recanted the statement and said, no, he probably could have done it by himself. He probably could have got up in there by himself? Yeah. And then managed to wedge his knees above his head. Yeah, no. Someone someone had to have had him either unconscious or dead at that point and stuffed his body up there. Exactly. But yeah, I think he was unconscious and got put in there and then asphyxiated because the way that his his knees were against his chest, you actually can like suffocate that way. If your if your legs are pressed against your chest and you can't get that expansion, you could basically smother yourself to death. But how do you get somebody up in there and just like. I would assume that they had to be very unconscious first. Yeah, but I feel like. That might, that, how, that, I don't, I can't imagine one person being able to, unless you're a strong person. He was a, a skinny, lanky dude, so I would think that it would take two people. Yeah. Um, but, you don't know. So, um, what, like I said, when questioned about undressing, uh, the coroner basically just tried to say that it was paradoxical undressing, uh, which is obviously not not the case. Now, despite much speculation from the public, Joshua's death was ruled accidental and the case was closed. Um, Love that. Police did receive several tips about a possible attack or murderer, but none of them really led to anything. Um, however, the public still very much disagrees with the authorities' conclusion of the case, uh, especially considering all of the circumstances around it, the breakfast bar being ripped away from 
the kitchen and moved in front of the fireplace, which Chuck said himself he never did. Nobody that's ever been at the cabin ever did. When they went to the cabin to start demolishing everything, they were actually very confused as to why the breakfast bar had been moved in the first place. And I, I know you said it's on this guy's property, but it's, like, probably, like, it's, not... It's in the middle of the woods, surrounded okay. by campgrounds. So it was Got it. So it's very not like much... Backyard. No, secluded. it's not, like, in a backyard. It's very secluded. Someone must have There were other cabins, spot. like, around, but not enough for, like, if he, like, was Is it somewhere where you there? would just stumble upon when you're taking a walk? Yeah. Think, like, the the campgrounds at, like, uh, at uh, Miles Standish. Okay. But like little cabins. Okay. So, so like, you know, like so how they have the little about, yurts. So he would probably have had to walk by that. Place. Oh yeah, he okay. probably walked by it several times and like knew. Like and people if, knew of the area. And if the coroners are saying that he stuffed himself up in it, just got in, the, took his pants off, and then just like got yeah. shimmied his way up the chimney. I'm sorry, no one's going for a walk in their right fucking mind does that. Exactly. But did he also like? Pull the breakfast bar off and make sure that it was there in front of the fireplace, too? No. He nope. fucking didn't. Exactly. I fucking exactly. know he didn't. Um, so, now, it wouldn't be a Fathomless episode if we didn't bring in a Reddit theory. Reddit <laughs> is... You gotta go to Reddit for shit like this. And I'm sure it doesn't come as a shock to you that there are several Reddit threads about this case. So, there was actually a... Um, in 2015 or, like, a little bit after this case had, like, broke, um, there was a Reddit post made by a... I couldn't find the actual name of the person, but it's someone who went to high school with Josh. So I'm just going to read this Reddit post, basically just write... I just copy and pasted it, so... starts off with, I went to high school with a skinny, dorky hippie named Andy who played guitar in a band. I was never good friends with him or anything, but a year or so after I graduated, one of my good friends, Josh, started hanging out with him and then went missing. Turns out, in addition to, in addition to becoming a lot scarier looking, Andy had indeed headed down to New Mexico where he found himself shooting the shit with the caretaker of a disabled guy and got invited over to their apartment. The caretaker gets in the shower. When he comes back out, the disabled guy is stabbed to death and Andy's gone. When Andy got arrested, he also claimed to have killed a woman in Teos, which I believe is in Mexico, um, and then stuffed her body in a barrel. This is Andy? This is Andy. The guy from this high is, school? This is a guy, Andy, who apparently this Reddit dude went to high school with, who also went to high school with Josh. And Josh was hanging out with Andy? Yes. Okay. The cops had indeed found a woman stuffed in a barrel in Teos, but already had somebody in custody for it and decided to just stick with that guy instead of the guy who confessed saying that he murdered a woman and put her body in a barrel in Teos. Which I think is very weird that the officers didn't decide to look into that. But years later, I found out that the caretaker had died in a bar fight and without him, the cops didn't have much in the way of evidence, so somehow the case against Andy was dropped in the stabbing. Several of us went to the cops saying, yo, Josh, who went missing, was last seen with Andy, who's a murderer. Maybe you should check on that. And the cops did nothing. Are you surprised? No. Nope. So despite a fair amount of pestering, nothing ever really came of it. And by nothing, I mean the police mostly didn't even return our phone calls. 
once accidentally canceled a, and once accidentally canceled the bulletin on Josh saying that he was actually alive and well and living in the next town over, which he wasn't. He was in a chimney of an abandoned cabin fucking two blocks from his parents' house. For seven years. The whole time. Um, The coroner, basically the Reddit goes on to talk about Josh's body being found. The coroner said that the body had been there for about seven years and ruled the death as accidental, concluding that Josh had probably climbed into the chimney in an attempt to break into the house and gotten stuck, which had given the, which given the age of the corpse doesn't seem ridiculous. But despite that and except for the fact that in addition to Josh having been last seen with Andy immediately before Andy went on this stabbing spree killing spree yeah um police had basically heard rumors that Andy had been bragging about putting Josh in a hole well a chimney is a hole to me so the post goes on to talk about how Josh was like the way that Josh was also found and the ridiculous theory of the coroner and how several people gave police tips that this dude Andy had went around town in the days of Josh's disappearance saying that he put Josh in a hole and they never looked into it. That's really fucked. Andy's full name is Andrew Richard Newman and he was actually arrested on suspicion of fatal stabbing in New Mexico and is currently serving time. It was also, I was able to confirm that Josh and Andy and the person who made this Reddit post did actually go to the same high school together. Okay. So there's there's some there's some sustenance to that theory, which I thought was really interesting. The fact that I was able to, like, find out that they really did go to the same high school together and that there really was an Andrew Richard Newman who is doing time for a stabbing in New Mexico and was considered a suspect in that murder in Teos but they did they had somebody and they already had a a person in custody for it so the police weren't going to reopen that investigation apparently yeah but sometimes you know people Which are wrongfully convicted and exactly. maybe they have the wrong guy so uh, sadly that is all we have on the case of Joshua Maddox and it is considered a closed case um, authorities did open it once a couple years after his body had been found again but they concluded that it was accidental which I think is a load of bullshit. It's giving me um, men in the Charles River. Yes. Accidental vibes. Exactly. Very much so. Um, but, you know, hopefully the more that people talk about this case and create public awareness, they might potentially reopen it. That has happened with cases before, uh, like Ellen Greenberg. I don't know if you remember that case. Morbid covered it. Um, she was stabbed in the back of her head and neck 19 times. Police said it was a suicide. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. They actually just reopened that case. Oh, after good. Finally. Several, <laughs> you know, public podcasts and different documentaries and stuff came out, you know, questioning the fact that, you know, maybe that investigation wasn't done so thoroughly, which I think is a very adamant here as well. I don't think that this was a thorough investigation at all. No, somebody obviously fucking somebody did something is responsible. To him. Either if they. I feel like because his pants were off, he must have been assaulted. I think he was assaulted. And stuffed up there when something went wrong or he was knocked unconscious. And, And like, I'm wondering if, like, chloroform or something would have even been visible in his body or in his system after seven years. Or if something like that would have dissipated. Because it's like, did he even have blood in his system? What was 
what was left in his organs. I know it said that there wasn't any drugs in his system, but like how much can you really find in an autopsy after seven years with a mummified corpse? Like I know you can find like bits of food that people have eaten and stuff like that, but like there's certain things that, you know, just don't last long. Well, so. it just fucking sucks that we'll never know what happened to him actually and I know. his family won't I ever mean, have that fucking closure. I don't know if if uh this Andy dude had anything to do with it, he's still alive and in prison, so well, let's make sure he doesn't get out. We never know. Hopefully he doesn't. But he's in New Mexico, so he's far away. So okay. we're good. Good. But that is it. <laughs> that is the really sad and confusing case. And like I said, you're left with a lot more questions and answers at yeah. the end of it. And it's just really fucking weird. All right. Well, thanks for ruining my morning. Um, <laughs> thanks for ruining your morning, guys. You're yeah. welcome. Well, next time we sit down and record, it'll be post-wedding. So we'll tell you all, all about it gonna be so much fun it's gonna be fun so but let's that's it that's it that's it that's it stay spooky guys stay scary stay safe bye bye